The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my place. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, uh, the fantasies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named uh, Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods, And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the uh, magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, And he proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and uh, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be uh, wet with the dew of the heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let his beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said to him, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which 
was uh, beautiful and its fruit abundant was for food for all under which beast of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who has grown and became strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of the heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation. O king, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven." And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to, the le uh, to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps be a, a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we, we acknowledge as we were reading in this text, God, your, your greatness, Lord. Nothing or no one is able to do anything unless there's an authorization from heaven. And so, God, whatever uh, we may be bringing into this room today, Lord, many of us coming from different parts of life and different struggles um, and different things we have to encounter, may we remember that you are the God that's with us, God, that you set up kingdoms and you tear down kingdoms. So even in this time, as we, God, just got done worshiping through music, may we know that, Lord, sitting under the proclamation of the word of God is the highest form of worship, in my opinion, that we can hear the word of God. God, and so I just pray that you will begin to birth faith in us, God. I pray that you will begin to speak to us through your word, God. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. God, convict us where we need to be convicted, God, um, and, and build us up in our faith. And so I'm so thankful for this church, God, for these seven years as I'm joining the legacy now, Lord, and others may have been here or joined sometime during the seven years, God. We acknowledge and celebrate what Jesus has done through this church and through his people. Um, God, and may we not forget, as Nebuchadnezzar was saying, there was something distinct about Daniel that he noticed. He said, there is the spirit of the gods in you. And so may we be believers. May we be the church that the world will watch and say, there's something different about these group of men and women. What is it? And may the door of the gospel be open to present King Jesus to rule and reign in their lives. And so we worship you. We acknowledge you. And all God's people say. All right. Thanks, Jonas. All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'd love to meet you. My name is Randall, uh, pastor of Grace City. I've uh, been here from the start. I've uh, been here before, uh, you know, there, there was any uh, UC High School uh, meeting or anything like that. And, and to say that, um, I say I, I believe that uh, being a part of a church plan is a miracle of God. Being a part of seeing a church birthed in a community is a work of God, and it is an honor to serve God uh, in this way and to be a part of this community and to, to uh, pastor this church. And so I just want to say, like, from uh, the start, uh, 
there have been people who have served um, and uh, been a part of this. Uh, so I just want to say thank you to the setup team, to uh, Billy and Mary, to um, all the ones that were here from the very beginning, um, all the people that, that have come over the years and just believe that God was at work in this community and uh, in this church body. And so um, I'm so humbled. Can we just thank God for all that he's done over these seven years? Like, just thank you, God. Um, it's more than just what happens on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, being a, being a pastor, you see just people's lives. And um, I've been a part of people being baptized. Um, I've been a part of doing weddings. And um, I've also been a part of funerals. Um, and so uh, just for me and, and for my family, um, it's such a humbling thing to remember each year as uh, Grace City's here, and I just praise God uh, for the, the gift it is to be able to serve uh, his people. Um, you know, one of the things that I just want to say from, the, from the, the, the jump, the start here is, um, you know, for me, I'm not um, like some social media Twitter pastor. I'm not just one of the, you know, I'm like not that type of person. Um, and so if you're just joining this church, kind of like, what's this church about? Like, I'm here at 7 a.m., here setting up like that's just our church family like that's our culture like we're a community um, of really encouraging each other in the faith and so if you ever want to grab coffee like don't think I'm too busy or any of that type of thing that's just why we're here amen like that's why we're here right so we are here to encourage each other as brothers and sisters in the faith and um and I just want to say this one too like there is a need for more church plants and so Grace City started as a church plant, but we will always have the heart of a church plant. Um, and what that means is that uh, we are dependent on God. And, and we believe that there are more churches as this city grows. Uh, there are more churches that need to start. And so we're just going to keep having that same heart of being a church plant um, and planting churches. And so I just believe it that someday God's going to send Jonas. There's going to be another church that's planted. And we just want to keep investing in this next generation of leaders. And so I just want to tell you I believe in you. I love you. And I'm just so thankful for what God is doing in your heart and your life. Um, as a community. And so uh, right now, uh, we are in a series called Living as Exiles. Uh, Living as Exiles. And we've been studying the book of Daniel. Um, and as we've looked at the book of Daniel, we talk about this idea of being in exile. Uh, the working definition that we've talked about is someone who is absent from their true home. Someone who's absent from their true home. And so maybe uh, you're here today and uh, if somebody were asked you where home was, you wouldn't say San Diego. You would say somewhere else. Um, and, and so maybe your heart is somewhere else, but you are here, right? Like God has brought you here to be a part of this. But ultimately, uh, our true home isn't San Diego or wherever it is that you might say it, it might be. It, it ultimately, as, as believers, uh, we are citizens of heaven, that our home is not here, but it's, this is temporary, and there's an eternal home that we're looking to as believers. And as Daniel believes that there's an eternal home, that there's a, a God above the gods that are being worshipped all around him, and in a, in a home that, 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 that he was made for, he's living in this tension. And as we've looked at this series, we've talked about this tension. You see, Daniel was taken from his home um, in Jerusalem as a young teen. 
And he's taken to this new city where there's this culture that's very diverse, uh, pluralistic in ideas, but also polytheistic in many different gods that are being worshipped. And over church history, that's why many Christians throughout history have looked to the book of Daniel on being a practical guide on how to live faithfully in different times and seasons. And so today we live in a very modern, pluralistic, diverse city. We love San Diego, but it is diverse and and pluralistic and has many different things that are being worshipped other than the God that we believe in. And so how do we hold tightly to God and to his word in the midst of that? That's what we've been looking at in the book of Daniel. And today we are in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 27. And the message is this. Why the mighty fall? Why the mighty fall? Today as we study the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we are studying this text in his own words. Uh, This is the first time that we see King Nebuchadnezzar speaking for himself. Daniel is uh, the one uh, writing, but now we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is sharing something from his heart, something that he's experienced. He's sharing this deeply personal incident in his life that profoundly changed him. And it's a vulnerable place because as he's sharing this experience, it's a time in his life where He goes insane. He loses his mind. But as we see from the very beginning here, he's glad that it happens. He's glad that he went through this experience. Why? Because he found that despite his position in life, there was a fatal spiritual disease within him. And he was blind to it. And here's what that disease is. Pride. Pride. You see, at this time in his life, he'd reached the mountaintop of fame, success, influence, prosperity, It's the very things that many in our culture today think that that is what my life is about. He's reached it. And he says that he was at ease and prospering. He was in retirement. We'll just say early retirement. Today we live in a a time where, where people say, I want to retire in my 30s. People who are past their 30s are laughing exactly like you want to retire in your 30s or maybe your 20s well king nebuchadnezzar had reached the precipice he'd reached the top and he shares with us why the mighty fall because in this he came in this came his fall in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs gives us wisdom for life. And in, in Proverbs 18, 12, it says, before his downfall, a person's heart is proud. A person's heart is proud. You see, what is pride? Well, pride is this preoccupation 
with self. It's a self-absorption, an entitlement. I deserve this. See, it can be defined as an inordinate amount of self-esteem. And what happens when you live in this pride, you're not living in reality. And today, we live in a society that is plagued by pride. Researcher Gene Twinch has done extensive research on the epidemic of narcissism in our society. And she's found that a higher proportion of people today display characteristics of narcissistic behavior compared to people in the past. And she believes that, that a part of the contribution to this, the reason why, is there's an excessive screen use. Now, we've talked about this before, and I'm not against technology, but basically what she's saying is that these devices create a me-centered experience all day, every day. In the movie uh, Waiting for Superman, a study showed that in developed countries, Americans ranked 25th in math, 21st in science, but when asked how well we did, we ranked number one in confidence. <laughs> Pride leads us to believe a reality that's not true. And we live in it. And today, Nebuchadnezzar, as successful as he was, is being shown that he is living in a false reality. C.S. Lewis once said, a proud man is, is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You cannot see something that is above you. At the beginning of this chapter in Daniel here, King Nebuchadnezzar of all people breaks out into a song, a hymn. He's singing about how God is above all things. Something happened in his life. And so that's why as we're reading today, as we're looking at this text today, we need this text we need to be reminded of this again and again and again in a culture that is plagued by self-absorption. We're hearing from the most self-absorbed person of his time. <laughs> and he's telling us the secret. So the text today is Daniel 4, 1 through 27. Just some give, give some background if you're just joining us. This was written in the 6th century B.C., before Christ walked the earth. Uh, at this time, uh, Daniel is a teenager, you know, he's, he's, he's getting older here. He was taken from his land as a teenager, uh, captive under King Nebuchadnezzar. And it seemed like everything was lost, but then he gets placed into these positions of authority and power. We see in, in Daniel chapter 2, and then in Daniel chapter 3, we see that his friends as well are in those positions. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar is a big part of their life because he's the one that's in charge. 
About this text, uh, one commentator uh, gives some of these thoughts. He, he says, really, the, the keys to understanding these chapters in the book of Daniel comes to the second verse in the book. So if you were rewind all the way back to Daniel chapter 1 in, in verse 2, when it talks about the conquest of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, um, it explains a little bit about what happened. And one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did when he, he took over Jerusalem is that he took all of the artifacts, all of the vessels from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he took them back to the treasure house back in his city, um, almost as these artifacts of here's this nation that was, but now I'm in charge, and so I'm taking them back home as kind of like this remembrance that my gods are way better than that God. And by this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was just asserting that ultimately he was stronger than the God of the Bible. Now, we know that God permits things to happen in life, triumphs over his people that happen. It happens all throughout scripture. But God has reasons for it. And we don't always know those reasons. Uh, but the the Temporary victory that Nebuchadnezzar has here ultimately led to much bigger things than what he could see at the moment. And ultimately, what God says in the scriptures, he says, my glory I share with no other. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to experience this. And so that helps us set up what we're going to look at today. But um, so in his own words, what was it that caused the personal downfall of Nebuchadnezzar? The, why the mighty fall? Um, we're going to look at that in the way that he describes it. But uh, we see that he describes it happened in three phases. In three phases here. So we're going to look at the text today, break this down. But the first one is a startling revelation. Number two, an unavoidable truth. And number three, an inevitable reality. A startling revelation, an unavoidable truth, and an inevitable reality. So the first one is a startling revelation. Uh, let's look at verses 4 through 5. So here's what he says. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Now, we see this isn't the first time that this happens to Nebuchadnezzar, but it actually happens in chapter 2, where it says that he was filled with anxiety, he was overwhelmed, he couldn't sleep. Statistics say that today, Americans, about 70 million Americans struggle with sleep disorders. King Nebuchadnezzar struggled with sleeping. Why? Well, uh, we find out that Nebuchadnezzar uh, was prosperous, had done well for himself, but that he has this dream that made him afraid. He says, as I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. He couldn't go back to sleep. See, with Nebuchadnezzar, 
as he experienced the ease, the prosperity, and even he says, my palace, if created his own little world. It wasn't enough. Uh, one commentator, Ian DeGid, talks about this. I'm just going to paraphrase here. It won't be on the screen. But he basically says that as long as we uh, are comfortable and at ease in this world, then many times what happens is we're not going to examine what's going on on the inside. We're not going to look at the deeper things of life. But he says when, when God disturbs the calm waters of our lives, we begin to consider that there might be some other paths. There, there might be something more. See, everything that Nebuchadnezzar thought he needed in life wasn't enough, and so he's getting shaken to his very core. And so this dream that he talks about, he says in verse 5, he says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my mind alarmed me. See, what is it that alarms us? What is it that scares us? What is it that keeps us up late at night that we can't sleep? See, there are things that are going on in our minds, in our hearts, maybe dreams and visions that we have that haven't been fulfilled or, or we think, oh man, if, if I can just do this and maybe strategize here and do this here, like then that will be enough. For Nebuchadnezzar, he's alarmed. But for him, it's much deeper because what's happening is that God is shaking him up. God is showing him something here. And we're going to see this throughout the text. But God is showing him that all of his accomplishments, all that he's accomplished in life, right, the hanging gardens, like all of the things that like, were some of the, the most, uh, the, the ancient wonders of the world that he built around him, beautiful place. It wasn't enough. Secondly, that it won't last. And that as much as he tries, ultimately, he's not in control. He's not in control. See, all of the things that keep us up, all of the things that alarm us, what is it that we're trying to grasp for or to get? Control. And these were all blind spots in his life. These were all places where he thought, all of my success, all of the things that I've done, all of the, the places that I conquered, that can be enough. But his success had blinded him. It had blinded him. His pride. Thomas Brooks once said, adversity hath slain her thousand, but prosperity her ten thousand. Adversity has slain her thousand, right? It's hard to, to push through adversity in life. But he says, you want to know what's harder? When things are going well. Prosperity. To feel like you don't need God in your life. The things that brought us to our knees in prayer before no longer bring us to our knees because we have them. 
And what we see here is that Nebuchadnezzar felt like he had it all, but he didn't. It was a startling revelation. The second point is an unavoidable truth. Look at verses six through nine. So I, Nebuchadnezzar, made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, who was called, uh, named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is so too difficult for you, tell me the visions in my dream that I sh saw and their interpretation. Now what's confused commentators and scholars as they studied this is they say, it's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar didn't go through Daniel chapter 2. Right, because in Daniel chapter 2, there was a dream. He has a dream. He's about to kill all his enchanters and magicians because they can't tell him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And then Daniel comes on the scene, tells him what both of them are because God gives him the vision. He gives him the dream. And then uh, it's, it's like he's doing the same thing again. He's repeating the same pattern and cycle that he was in before. We, we've all heard it before, right? But uh, doing the same thing and expecting different results, it's a pattern for crazy, right? And so what we see here is that it's not only Daniel chapter 2, right? Like he knows that Daniel has the ability to tell him what the, the dream is and the interpretation. But you remember the, the vision in, in chapter 2? He, he basically says, okay, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, your head is, okay, there's this big statue. Your head is the gold one, but then there's these other ones that are mixed in, and, but you're the gold one. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do in chapter 3? He says, that's a cool vision. I really like that. But I'm going to do one better, Daniel. You know, remember I had that dream about the, 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 the gold head being me? You know, that, that was cool. But I'm going to make a whole, like, statue of me in gold. Won't that be amazing? Won't people love that? Daniel, come on. That's, that's a cool vision. That's a cool dream. So basically, instead of learning from Daniel chapter 2, he doubles down, right? He doubles down and he says, I'm going to keep going with what I think is right. I'm going to keep going with my vision. Do you know what's alarming? Is he keeps doubling down on his vision. What's alarming in our lives? When we reject God and continue to double down on our vision, our dreams. And he's trying to shake us up saying, hey, it isn't going to work. I'm here. Why did he not go to Daniel first? 
Well, commentator Sinclair Ferguson gives a, a really helpful insight here, and this is speculation, but I think there could be some truth in this. He said, why do you not call Daniel the three witnesses first? Perhaps the answer lies in his sense of guilt. Satan has an uncanny ability to blackmail us on account of our sin. So it was with Nebuchadnezzar. He, he knew he had abandoned the conscience that on several occasions had been sensitized by God by these men. And despite all that God had done, Nebuchadnezzar persisted in interpreting the events of his life in human terms. Later, he petitioned Daniel, but he had not yet learned to petition God. He had not yet learned to petition God. See, ultimately, what were all these visions and these dreams for? It was to shake him up so that he would actually come to the living God. What are the things that we fight on a daily basis we try to hold on to and say, okay, I got this. Friends, do you know that for me, it was not in my vision, dreams, or plans that I was going to be a pastor? That I was going to be a church planter? No way. No way. I, I, that, that wasn't something that I was like, yeah, I want to do that. There will be things that God will call you to. Here's the thing. He takes the lowly. He takes the lowly. I was sharing this with somebody recently, and, and I want to share this with you. When I was growing up, I hated getting in front of people and speaking. I hated it. I was frightened. I, I, I could not do it. I, I would dread it. I'd sit in the back of the classroom just like looking, just waiting, like, okay, I don't want to go. Like, you know, just like, okay, teacher says, okay, no, pre no, no, no more presentations today. I didn't go, okay, great, I got another day. Like, that's how scared I was. And that I am up here, every, you know, basically most weeks up here speaking in front of people is not me. It's not me. And so when you look at your life, basically for Nebuchadnezzar, God is shaking him up saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't get there on your own. You couldn't. You couldn't. But he's like pushing away the voices and starting to interpret his life on human terms. On human terms. So again, in verses uh, six through eight, Daniel is placed side by side to the magicians and the astrologers. And after the king has exhausted every resource, then he gets to Daniel. He says, okay, tell me, tell me about this vision. Tell me about this dream. Tell me about this interpretation. What are the things that we're holding on to right now and that we know are inside of us, right? They're, they're unconfessed. Like, he never, like, we don't see Nebuchadnezzar ever apologize for um, the whole, like, hey, I'm going to kill everybody because they can't tell me my dream thing, right? <laughs> never apologize, never says anything about that, just kind of sweeps that under the rug. You know, that didn't really happen. Um, Never, never really says anything about the whole statue thing, 
right? And then like, okay, yeah, I did that. And then also I threw your friends into a fiery furnace. Like doesn't, doesn't say anything, doesn't acknowledge any of this, right? Just kind of moves on. And then we get to this place where it's like, okay, probably his conscience is getting to it. Like I probably should, I don't know if I want to talk to that Daniel dude. And then I know he's going to tell me the truth because he did it before. Okay, fine. Okay, Daniel, I know, <laughs> guys, you're going to say something I'm probably not going to like. But what is it? There's an unavoidable truth. See, for some of us, there are things that we know are true. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that we suppress the truth. We are suppressing it. Not that we don't know. It's just like we're suppressing it. We're pushing it down further and further. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't believe that, you know? We're just pushing it down. And so what happens when it comes to the surface, when it's brought before us? What do we do? What do we do? The unavoidable truth. The last point. Number three, an inevitable reality. An inevitable, inevitable reality. Verses 24 through 27. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump, of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening to your prosperity. What's this verse talking about? Well, first, and we're gonna study this more next week. But this is where um, what's predicted here all happens to Nebuchadnezzar. All of this happens to him. Okay, but this is like the preview. Right, we, we, we love looking and dissecting how things fail. Don't we like in our culture? We love dissecting it. We love looking at it. And so basically this is like the preview to the fail. This is, this is it. Like, he's like, here, it's coming. Nebuchadnezzar, just wait. It's coming for you. The fail is coming. Here's how it's going to happen. We live in a culture that just loves to dissect, loves to break those things down. We get to look at this in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But this verse also helps us to understand that in the midst of the failure, there is a great reversal. There is a great reversal. There is the inevitable reality. See, sometimes what happens is uh, we, we see pride in others. It's very hard to see in ourselves, isn't it? It's almost impossible to see in ourselves. But we love to dissect 
the pride of other people. And the inevitable reality, whether it happens soon or later, here's, what pri- what, here's the, the inevitable end of pride, the fall. What did it say at the very beginning? What did it say in Proverbs? Before the fall, before the downfall, there is pride. There is pride. I've learned this many times. Sometimes I see my kids doing things. I see them jumping on a skateboard. Oh, yeah, cool. Let me jump on that real quick. Let me show you what dad can do. Then all of a sudden, dad's trying to do some of the things that they're doing, and you're like, yeah, dad can't do that. Dad can't do that. There's a fall, right? There, there was a pride that came into my heart, and there's a literal fall. And there's major consequences, like long-term, right? Like my back hurts, my neck, like all this stuff. But when we think about the inevitable reality, there, if there is consequences to this, And here's the great reversal. Here's the promise. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The most high rules the kingdom of men. So let's look at first the most high. So one commentator, James Boyce, talks about this. But he says, the first time that this is used, this this term most high, was used um, in the Old Testament when Abraham meets Melchizedek. It says that Melchizedek uh, was... uh, uh, worshipped the Most High. But, but then it also is used of Satan in Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. Here's what it says. And it's not going to be up there, but I'm going to le- uh, read this here. It says, this, this is God looking at Satan. To the heart of Satan, here's what he says. He's interpreting, he says, this is what you said. You said this in your heart. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It sounds like an Instagram post. Right? Doesn't it? It's like, this is what you need to do. This is how you do it. Like, But that is from the heart of Satan. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. It was pride that changed angels into devils. And so the most high rules, and it's God alone. But next, the the phrase, the kingdom of men. The kingdom of men. That's an interesting phrase, and we need to really put that in there because here's what it's saying. That just as, yes, heaven rules, right? God rules in heaven that he also rules on earth. That despite the things that we see, and as gladly as people would be to confine God to heaven, that's fine that you rule there, Lord. Yeah, that's great. But to rule in my life? To rule here on earth? To obey you? I don't know. I, I, that's that's kind of different. See, there's an inevitable reality. 
Philippians talks about this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee. Will we say that's the inevitable reality? Now, how does God do that? Does he come in with brute force? Does he come in and say, well, I'm in charge now and I'll beat you over the head with it? Because that's how some of us think of God, right? You know, when Mary was celebrating the birth that Jesus would be born, she starts singing a song. It's in Luke 1, 51 through 52. Here's what her song is. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Who was Mary? She was just this young teenage girl that lived in a world of oppression, that lived in a world of overlooking her. And God said, I choose you. Right? The inevitable reality is that God looks for the humble of heart. Because here's the grace in it all. Here's the grace in the vision. Leave the stump. Remember the big tree? Remember how it was Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was probably like, yes. How can I build a tree? What can I do to, to build myself a tree? I'm going to make it. Yeah, that's me. No. He says, God says, no, you're the stump. You think you're the tree, but you're actually the stump, and I allowed you to stay. Leave the stump. See, this is grace. God could have uprooted Nebuchadnezzar in his sinful pride, but he shows him who he really is and allows him to live. And so just some quick takeaways. The first one is this. As a church family, Let's ask God to examine our hearts. Let's ask God to examine our hearts. I love Psalm 139, verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You've searched me and known me. See, do you, do you see yourself in the story? For some of us, we think, oh, yeah, I'm just Daniel. I'm out there doing the Daniel stuff. I'm Daniel. Can we see ourselves in Nebuchadnezzar? I never had a palace. I never had a hang. I never had all that. Dreamed of it. We, we, we thought that that's, that's what life was about. We, we've placed ourselves on, on, as the ruler of our own hearts and lives. Like I said, if you look at the middle letter of sin, what is it? I. Look at the middle letter of pride, what is it? I. It's all about me. And so can we ask God to examine our hearts? See, we all have blind spots and need God's divine intervention. The second one is this. Seek the common good of others. Seek the common good of others. This is, this is kind of like a... You know, like a, a missional encouragement. Daniel's friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. Like, there, there's a lot that Daniel's been through, right? 
and just, he's been taken from his homeland. Like, he probably didn't see his family from this point on. Like, a lot of things have happened to Daniel. But then it says in Daniel 4.19 that when he heard this dream, what alarmed him? That Nebuchadnezzar was stuck in such pride and he didn't even realize it. And that he was in danger. He was in danger. See, what are we as Christians to do when we see people hurting and pain, lost, like discouraged? Are we like, man, I hope they get what's coming to them. Or do we say, Lord, help them? They don't see it. They don't see it. I'll tell you this, a, a few weeks ago, I, I, I'm having a hard time with youth sports. Youth sports are tough, man. Like, it's like a crazy, like, people losing their minds. I'm looking around, and a few weeks ago, I'm watching this game, and my son's out there playing and literally gets bulldozed by this guy on the field. And I hear this parent behind me saying, yeah, get him. Right. He's cheering. And I'm looking at my son as he's being carried, literally like being carried off the field. And I'm hearing this dude cheering. And I turn around and I look at him. I say, that's my son. He said, I don't care if that's your son. Literally, he's like, I don't care if that's your son. I said, dude, this is a game. These are kids. I don't care. You need to get out of my face. Okay. I'm telling you, it is only by the restraining grace of God <laughs> that I'm here to tell you today that I walked away. And you know what? Later, I'm sitting there, and literally, we crossed paths. I'm silent, and I got witnesses. Jed was there. I was literally sitting there, and he's telling me he wants to fight me in a UFC cage. And I'm like, like, what is going on right now? By the grace of God, we need to be praying and seeking the common good of others and praying for people. I'm like, man, Lord, help me. You know, as I'm sitting there and I'm just like this, I'm just like, okay, Lord, help me, help me teach me to be a man of prayer. Shut my mouth that I don't say anything that would harm others. Seek the good of others. What is it that we keep leaning into? Pain. And we think that we got to respond out of pain. I'm telling you, by the grace of Jesus Christ, he's bought you with the blood of Christ and so that you can seek the good of this world that needs Christ. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, I might have been that dude. I might have been him. But because of the grace of God, he's restraining me. And what I'm telling you is that there's a world that needs that right now. Because there are people who are triggered at any moment. There's people that literally are alarmed and going insane in their mind, doing crazy things. And you're like, what's going to settle somebody down? Only the restraining grace of God. Learn to humbly follow God's way. 
Learn to humbly follow God's way. Ask God, God, what's your way? What, what's your path? What do you want, Lord? Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Like, Lord, help me to live in that. And you gotta keep repeating that to yourself every day. Because some of us are going back into the pain of our sin and our past, but he's calling you and saying, hey, I'm calling you into the Holy Spirit, into the peace of God. Live in this. Renew your mind. Trans- be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fall into these patterns anymore. I've called you something new. And so God has humbly called us to his way. So I'm gonna finish with this. At the beginning of Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, praises the God of heaven because he had been brought low and restored to his position. It was in being a stump that God showed him grace. See, but it was 600 years later that a greater king would come. And here's what it would say about him. Isaiah 53, two through three. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. See, this is Jesus Christ, the one who didn't come as a great tree, but as a young plant and dry ground. He didn't come in majesty, but there was no beauty that we should desire him. He he was not adored by people, but rejected and despised by people. Why? He ultimately took the fall. He took the mighty fall. He took the greatest fall so that in grace you and I could be lifted up and that is the gospel. Christ took the mighty fall for our sin, for our pride so that we could be lifted up as sons and daughters. See, the greatest act of humility that the world has ever seen can be found in the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, Jesus Christ. And so church family, will you look to him today and say, I lay down my pride. I lay it at your feet. Lord Jesus, fill me with humility. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the ability to be here. It's it's only because of you. And so God, I pray that each of us will see that you are working and that you are alive today and you're here in our lives. And so God, please move in your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.